It is a delight to uh, be with you here this morning. Uh, I am on the road on most Sundays, but it's good to be home back here at St. Mark's. And I bring you greetings from all 90 congregations in our southwestern Washington Synod. We go from the Columbia up to Canada, and so it's good to be here, and it's good to be joined with all of you. I especially bring you greetings from uh, Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Yelm. That's where I was last Sunday, and when I told them that I'd be with you today, the, all the Lutherans in Yelm said to say hello to you, so hello from Yelm. <laughs> Next Saturday, I'll be at the Living Stones congregation that is within the men's prison in Shelton. I'm sure some of you have visited there. I'll be worshiping with over 100 men who come together to worship at the Men's Correctional Institute. May I bring your greeting to them next Saturday? Yes, good. I also, before I start the sermon, I want to thank you for your generous support of our synod's ministry, both in the ministry that you do right here and in your neighborhood, but you've also been very generous in supporting our, our Deep Roots New Life financial campaign. Uh, earlier this summer, when you were doing your capital fundraising campaign, you tithed from that, and half of that tithe uh, you sent in for our Rock City Lutheran Church, our multicultural ministry in Tacoma, and so you supported that with $18,000. And then in a bequest that you received from one of your members, you also tithed from that, and you made a contribution of $17,000 for our seminarian scholarship fund that we're establishing, and then another $3,000 came beyond that. So you've been very generous to us, and we appreciate that. It's helping build the ministry together. Well, last week, last Sunday in the Gospel, if you remember, uh, and, and today, they're both from Matthew 18, where Jesus is giving us good, uh, concrete advice about how to live together as a healthy community. Last week, he talked about how to seek justice and resolve conflicts, and this week, he talks about forgiveness. Justice and forgiveness, they go together. Last week, in last week's gospel, if you remember, Jesus asked the question, well, if someone, if a brother or sister in your community uh, harms you or hurts you or offends you, what do you do about it? He said, well, what you do is you go to that person and tell them how they hurt you or harmed you uh, because you have a right to say what kind of treatment you should be receiving. First, Jesus said, try to do that one-on-one. -on -one. Try to do it privately and settle it yourselves. If that doesn't work, get a couple of friends to sit down with you so that they can help you listen and talk to each other. And if that doesn't work, involve the whole community. But get together and work it out because God cares about justice, Jesus is saying. God cares about things being fair. And so, for example, when in the, our lesson from Genesis, when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, God was pained at that and so set, set uh, things in play to, for, to free Joseph. When, when the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites, God was not only pained but outraged about that and set in plan a motion to lead them out of slavery. God cares about justice, and so you have a right and even a responsibility to make sure things are fair in your community. So that was last week, and then this week Jesus comes along. He says there's a second ingredient. There's a second ingredient, and that is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Justice goes with forgiveness because no matter how much we try, we hurt each other, we harm each other, we make bad choices, we try to work things out, but at a certain point there also is the necessity, there's the divine necessity of, of releasing our anger, releasing our resentment, and making peace and forgiving and starting over. 
But I think there's a certain tension between justice and forgiveness. To put it another way, how much and how long do we fight for what's right? And at what point do we also release our anger and forgive one another and start again? Many years ago, I remember uh, talking with uh, a Lutheran pastor named Dr. Lee Griffith. He was a professional counselor. He had a counseling practice in Spokane and a very wise and good soul. He has since then passed away. But Dr. Griffith talked about how as he was nearing retirement, he and, he and his very best, best friend decided they would go into a business venture together. They would build a retreat center and it wasn't just a business venture, it was a dream they had to build this retreat center where they could continue to do their counseling, but, but there could be a retreat center for a greater healing network of things, good things that were happening. So they both pooled all of their retirement money into this plan and invested it to buy the land. But just after the, the uh, retreat center was built, it came to light that his friend had changed the wording of the ownership contract unbeknownst to Dr. Griffith, and took complete control of the whole operation, and in fact had cheated Dr. Griffith out of everything he had and everything he had invested. Well, Dr. Griffith was needlessly, needless to say, was devastated, was devastated. Not only was this his best friend who had done this to him, but it was his dream, and beyond that, it was his retirement. What was he going to do now? Well, first of all, he knew that he had a right to feel angry about it. He had a right to feel angry about it, and he didn't judge himself for feeling angry. Like a good psychotherapist, he knew that his anger, in fact, was important at that stage because it was his anger that was going to fuel him to take some action. When God saw the Israelites enslaved, it was God's righteous anger that fueled God to take action on their behalf. So Dr. Griffith took his friend to court. He sued him for a return of all that he had invested because he wanted things to be fair. He wanted justice to happen, so he took him to court. But as often happens in court cases, the actual court hearing date was postponed, and then it was postponed again, and finally it wasn't set until 13 months away. And as the weeks went by and the months went by, Dr. Griffith began to realize that his anger and his resentment was obsessing him day and night. It was, it was hardening in every artery of his being. It was keeping him awake at night. He knew that his anger and resentment, his anger had served him at first, but now that it had hardened into resentment, it was killing him. And he knew he had to somehow release it. He knew he had to somehow release it. And so he began a process of trying to work towards forgiveness. And that's perhaps the first important thing to say about forgiveness, is that forgiveness is rarely uh, an immediate response that we can manage to do in the spur of the moment. It's often a process that we work towards. And so Dr. Griffith began that process. He uh, prayed, he reflected, he talked with wise friends, he prayed for more. He even had a particular prayer that he prayed each day he would stand up in the morning, he would have his hands open face down, and he said, Lord, help me release all of my anger, my resentment, my grudge. And he would open his hands forward, facing up, and say, Lord, fill me with your peace, with your patience, with your power to forgive. He did that day after day. And at the end of 13 months, it worked. 
He realized that on the day of the actual hearing, he walked into the courthouse, and as he was walking down the hallway, his friend was walking towards him to go into the courtroom. And Dr. Griffith realized that as he was walking towards his friend, he, he did not feel heavy, he did not feel angry, his heart felt light. He was even in a certain way happy to see his friend again because he thought there might be a, a chance for a new beginning. He still wanted to win the court case because justice was still important. But as he walked towards his friend, much to his own lawyer's chagrin, he reached out and he gave his friend a big hug. He said his friend's mouth just sort of dropped open and he looked like he was having a heart attack. And uh, Dr. Griffith confessed that he kind of enjoyed how much his friend was shocked and that, <laughs> and that maybe a small heart attack might be good for him. <laughs> but mostly, he was just delighted that by the power of the Spirit, God, in fact, had helped him release his resentment and be filled with peace. He was also very happy when later that week the judge ruled in his favor and he felt that justice had been done that day. Justice and forgiveness. Justice and forgiveness. They are somehow a pair. They are often in tension with each other, but they are a pair because being right is important. Doing what's right, having the right done is important. But also being in relationship is important. Somehow staying connected and seeing in the person who you first thought of as completely your enemy, also to see them <clears throat> underneath all that as also one of God's sons or daughters. That is what God wants for us, to somehow work out together and receive that shalom, that healing, that putting together of the pieces and it takes both a passion for justice and a passion for forgiveness that God models for us. Now, there's another complication that we face when we uh, work with both justice and forgiveness, and that is, is that as we're trying to work things out, those issues come, come up for us not only in a one-on-one -on -one situation, when we're, when we're working with an individual, when something has happened between us and another individual, it also happens to us as, as groups, as groups. We are, in need, we are in need of healing these days because of the groups we are a part of. Our nation, our nation right now is torn, is torn into so many angry and shouting groups. We open up the newspaper, we turn on the TV, or we go to social media, we go to Facebook, and on every issue, and they are important issues, but on every issue, there are people divided into sides, not sitting at the table to talk to each other, but groups standing and yelling at each other and insulting each other and putting all kinds of defaming con con uh, comments on Facebook towards each other. We are in need of healing as a nation by the way we are being torn into attacking groups. A very good friend of mine, Bishop Greg Rickle, who is the Episcopal Bishop for Western Washington, was walking down the street in West Seattle where he lives uh, earlier this summer, and he met two Muslim women dressed in traditional Muslim clothing, and he saw that they were trying to get their shopping basket up a couple of steps, so he walked over to help them do that, and then he stood there chatting with them just a little bit longer. And just at that moment, a car drove by with its windows down, and a voice shouted out, Muslim trash don't belong here. Go back to your own country. 
Bishop Rickel was shocked and devastated to hear that. I was shocked and devastated. I grew up in West Seattle. West Seattle prides itself on being a progressive and open community. But in too many ways, we have become a shouting and insulting nation broken into groups. Now, as I said before, there are genuine issues that we need to work through together. There are complicated topics that we're not all on the same place, and that's part of being a democracy. We need to sit down and talk together and address very complicated, complicated issues like immigration and employment and health care, all those kinds of things they deserve talking about. But instead of sitting at the table in dialogue, we divide up into warring camps and we yell at each other. Even those of us who um, consider ourselves open and reasonable people, which is, I'm sure, all of us here today, all of us who think of ourselves as open and reasonable people, we can also find ourselves when we're talking with a particular person and all of a sudden they say something that is just so objectionable to us. They state a position that just is so different than our own and inside we feel ourselves tightening up and even kind of pushing away and wondering whether we even want to be in the same room with the person we immediately value or disvalue each other based on how they think or on even more surface things like what color of skin they have or what religious group they're from or what economic group they're part of. We are a torn people. And I would say that even the chaos and suffering of the planet right now is a mirror to us of our tornness. The hurricane winds, the fires, the floods, the earthquake, they mirror to us of our failure to care for each other and our failure to care for the planet. And so Jesus comes, Jesus comes to teach us the, the practice, the intertwined practice of justice and of forgiveness. Of, of searching for what's right, but also caring for our relationships with each other. Jesus comes to give us the gift of shalom, which in part comes at, in sitting down at the table together and however difficult the conversation, to also stay there intertwined by our being part of the family of God. I think we Christian church people have a a real role to play in the healing of our times and the healing of our nations. Because we know how to set a table. We know the importance of setting a table. We come here week after week to the table. We come here to the table to be fed, to be nourished, to be forgiven, to be empowered, to be committed again to God's work. We know how to set a table and so I think we're being called in our world today not only to set this table, but to go out into our communities and, and set a table where people can come and sit down and, and talk through thorny topics, but people can come sit down in a place that is safe and where, where respect is cultivated and people can work at negotiating what's fair and what's right for all of us together. That is the shalom. That is the gift which God wants to bring to us. Two last quick things before I end my sermon. One is, uh, I talked for, before about 
forgiveness being a process. And so in your bulletin day, today, you can look at it later on. You can sneak a glance at it right now. But there is in your bulletin a page that's entitled 10 Ways to Pray Towards Forgiveness. It's actually from a writer in the Lutheran magazine a number of years ago, but it's a good, it's a good guide. So take it home and work with it. We are all in some ways wrestling with some harm, some hurt, some resentment. So you can use that. It's a good guide. Second, we're going to conclude this sermon time by singing an Advent hymn. Now, why would we be singing an Advent hymn in the closing days of summer instead of waiting for December? Well, we're going to sing an Advent hymn because Advent is God surprising us with the gift of new life. God surprising us. And I think that for a lot of us, as we look around our world today, as we look our nation and beyond that to the nations of the world, we see the fighting, we see the anger, we see the insults. It just seems so unstoppable. It just seems like it's so powerful and it's going to sweep us away. We see the, the hunger, we see the refugees, we see the poverty, we see the violence, and it just seems these forces are so great, there's nothing that could stop them. But in Advent, in Advent, we celebrate the power of God that comes to begin a new day. In Advent, we celebrate God embodied in Christ who comes to bring us shalom. And we also celebrate how now God embodied in us, present in us, consumed in the bread and the wine, but carried in ourselves out to the world. We celebrate how God embodied in us can be at work to bring the healing that is necessary, to bring the forgiveness that is necessary, to continue to struggle for what's, for what's right, but also caring about being, bringing people together in relationships. It is shalom that we need. We are not alone. There is no need to be hopeless. God's power is with us. And so we sing, awake, awake, and greet the new morn. Amen. Amen.